we are here to play the role as he assigns it. And that's one of the that's impacted my life maybe more than anything else. Same roles after recovery. Son, son, dad, dad, friend, friend, brother, brother. Same roles, but now as God directs us. And for me, in an instant, it was, those are not my children. I'm their father. That's not my father. I'm his son. It's not my brother. I'm his brother. And my job is here to be the best dad, father, son I can be. And whatever they do is none of my business. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Alas, we meet again. Alas, I just thought of that word right before I began to record and I said, I haven't used that word in a really long time and I like it. Alas, we are here. Alas, we meet again. Nonetheless, that was the voice of Mr. Gary K that you heard at the beginning of this here episode, episode number 327. And you are going to hear so much more from Gary K in un momento, but... First things first, this episode is made possible by Manny, Anonymous, Audrey, Mary Lynn, Laura, and Timothy. What you may ask, did Manny, Anonymous, Audrey, Mary Lynn, Laura, and Timothy do? Well, they went to our humble little website, www.soberspeak.com. Com. They clicked on the little yellow donate tab via PayPal methodology and they made a contribution. So thank you so much. Manny, Anonymous, Audrey, Mary Lynn, Laura, and Timothy. This here episode number 327 is coming right out to Ewan's. If you're feeling a little restless, irritable, and discontented today, is it discontent or discontented? Nonetheless, uh, we are here to smooth out the rough edges of your day, and we are very excited that you have joined us. 
So this is just another little thought going through my little pea brain before I started to record today. And that is, you know, I was thinking about how I get the uh, emotional sometimes. I, I can, you know, I can get teary-eyed, emotional, uh, more than most guys most likely. But I was thinking a, a very good barometer of how emotional I may or may not be feeling that day is when I I watched the... Uh, <laughs> I watched the uh, program, what is it called? Undercover Boss. <laughs> You've ever seen that or not? But toward the end, they, you know, the bosses are all undercover and they, 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 and then toward the end, they reveal themselves. And then, like, the people who have been good hearted people or whatever, they give them, you know, like, well, I'm going to give you like a million dollars and they break down and whatever. And, or I'm going to give you, you know, education for your kids or I'm going to give you medical assistance or whatever it is. But I could tell by, <laughs> how emotional I am that week by if I start bawling at that or not. So anyway, j just a complete side note. Um, oh, oh, and you know, one of the, I saw a Saturday night live skit once and it was a, it was a takeoff of undercover boss and they had the guy from, oh gosh, what's his name? The mean guy from star Wars. I don't even know his name. He's, he's got long dark hair and, and he's the guy who is evil. And anyway, <laughs> if y'all look that up, it's very, very funny. He was the undercover boss, but he wasn't doing a real good job uh, of being an undercover boss. But anyway, for those of you who have seen it, you'll know what I'm talking about. It was absolutely hilarious. But nonetheless, all right, let's go on in here into our episode. This man needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him an introduction anyway, just because that's what I like to do. Gary Kay um, has been a frequent guest on Lea Sober Speak. Uh, and this one we're calling Complacency in Alcoholics Anonymous. It was fantastic to spend time with Gary again. He actually came to a meeting uh, that I attend before we started to record and uh, we were able to uh, attend that meeting together and then come back here to studio AA and record Gary uh, and record Gary and um, anyway so it's probably been a couple of years or so since we got together and if if you are listening to him for the first time uh, you're in for a treat if you're returning to hear Gary uh, you're you're still in for a treat but uh, uh, we weren't sure exactly what subject or uh, yeah, subject we were going to discuss during the episode or which subjects we were going to discuss well, we finally landed on complacency and did a deep dive on that particular topic so Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Mr. Gary Kay, and as always, well, not always, but most of the time, we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of Gary's uh, interview slash episode. Anyway, we'll have a lot of listener feedback at the end. Enjoy, Gary. Okay, everybody, so today we are sitting here with a longtime friend, Mr. Gary K. So Gary, first things first, go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you wish, and tell people where you live as well. You bet. I'm an alcoholic. My name is Gary Kincaid. 
I am really, really, really grateful for a sobriety date and for a new life. Mine started July 25th of 94. I'm in Sulphur Springs, Texas. But today you're in Frisco, Texas. Today I am in Frisco. <laughs> With big John city, yeah. M. Yes, yes. The big city. I, I always appreciate, you know, I mean, people don't realize you you drive you drive a lot, right? You whenever you do AA things, you're driving. How many miles a year do you do you put on a car? Have you ever have you ever calculated that? Uh, about forty-five to forty-eight thousand. Okay, well, not as much, but that's still quite a lot for one year. And the majority of that is going to different AA places. Is that right? For the most part, but I always tell people I drove a lot further to get drunk and chase women, so I can, <laughs> I can do this for recovery. <laughs> Consequences are much better. <laughs> All right. So we have been trying to kind of get together for a while. You know, every time I'd see you, you know, we'd say, hey, let's get together, you know, come out, do some more recording. But between your schedule and my schedule, uh, uh, we just hadn't been able to get together. But fortunately, um, you were able to get down. Did you have like a little break in, uh, I don't know, conferences or something? Uh, Yes. Yes. It's been... um It'll start picking up again here in a couple of weeks, but it's been, you know, life's busy. Yeah, yeah. There's that promise in the third step that many of us miss, I miss for a long, long time, that we will be able to handle life successfully. And it doesn't say we will be a success in life, but life for me is, um, you know, all that birth family stuff, which I didn't handle very successfully. But being in recovery today, there are a lot of responsibilities as some of that family ages and changes. Uh, another thing about life is aging. Mm-hmm. We don't get to stay 30 forever. You know, it's a reality that, that we, and being able to handle that successfully. I'm one of those guys that was always trying to keep the outside appearances, you know, looking young and looking good because I didn't want to get old, and that's not handling life successfully. And the other part of life for me is illness. Uh, That's just part of living. God doesn't do it. There's nobody to blame, but there's always going to be illness, either mine or someone that I care and love about. That's just reality. How is your health? Are you doing okay? As far as I know, I'm uh, I'm healthy. Good. You know, I'm, I never dreamed I'd get this old, but still, I was visiting yesterday with a gentleman. I do no meds of any kind and do my two physicals each year. My doctor usually tells me that he's hacked off because he's about 35 years younger and He's on blood pressure and cholesterol, and he's it's not right. You drank and smoked and lived that way, and you're healthy as a horse. You know, <laughs> I told him if he got right with God, he might get healthy too. So, <laughs> <laughs> I notice your hair is a different length. I think it used to be kind of a longer ponytail. Am I right about that? Yes, it's, I've, I don't know, six or eight inches cut off. Right, yeah. So you cut quite. I mean, you still have long hair, 
Right. Uh, and, and people are always, you know, it's interesting. Whenever I meet somebody, I do the Bill C uh, always says something to the effect of, well, am I, uh, is, am I as handsome as you thought I'd be in real life? You know, so, <laughs> and people will see me and they go, oh, yeah, you're not what I pictured at all. And I'm sure people have a picture of you in their mind if they've never actually met you. Just hear that silky, sexy voice <laughs> there. <laughs> Uh, many in my home group get very tired of it. <laughs> I think I mentioned here one time what I heard Chamberlain say. They get so tired of me in my home group, they won't even let me lead the silent prayer half the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. All right, so we we just got back from uh, uh, you were kind enough to come here, like I said, from Sulphur Springs. It's probably what a couple hours out, something like that. Right, right at two hours, and so you came in here to you know to do this recording, and you were actually also I, I was I was elated to see that you could make uh, the meeting that we had before this. Um, it's Saturday. We go to the we went to the Frisco Fourth Dimension group here in uh, Frisco, and um, there was so I was thinking about I was kind of meditating on like during the meeting, you know, what should I talk to Gary about? And then I and then I talked to you. I said, "Is there anything in particular you have in mind?" You're like, "No." I said, "Well, let's just wing it and see where we go." But what I thought about during the meeting is that first of all, I wanted to. Uh, speak with you about the topic that came up during the meeting. And then I'm probably going to take the As Bill Sees It book here and just kind of go through kind of random topics, uh, just pick those out. Uh, as you called it before we started, a, a potpourri, right? A potpourri of right. topics and uh, see where we go from there. So uh, first off, Let's talk about the subject that came up in the meeting today, and the gentleman named Josh was chairing it. I think you read from the Daily Reflections, if I'm not mistaken, and it was basically the the uh, passage in the big book, I think it's on page 85, if I'm not mistaken, that talks about complacency. So when you think of complacency in Alcoholics Anonymous, and that'd be, what's that, the 10th or 11th step? I think that's the 10th step. Yes. 10th step. And so when you think about complacency within Alcoholics Anonymous, what comes to mind for you? Well, what came to mind during the meeting, I enjoyed being there. Had I shared, I would have shared something along the lines of, I'm in Sulphur Springs, where we have two meetings a week. And I heard nearly everyone that shared talked about how I need a meeting. And if not for these meetings, I couldn't stay sober. Or I was, we had quite a few people share that had had sobriety and lost it. And they said, I quit going to meetings. And I thought, well, you probably wouldn't do very well in Sulphur Springs. <laughs> now, there are other meetings around, but you have to get in your car and drive 30 to 45 minutes to find them. So I was thinking about the 10th step during that meeting, and, and John, this could be right or wrong. It doesn't really matter. But my experience in AA is I have seen many, many people for whom the obsession to drink has been removed. And you'll hear them share that. The obsession was removed right away when I was coming to these meetings. But my experience is the obsession can be removed without sanity having been restored. Mm. And the 
you know, the very beginning rush of getting a home group and getting into the fellowship and having someone to visit with and places to go and things to do and people telling you how wonderful you're doing. There, there was kind of a time where I don't want to drink. But really, maybe nothing has really occurred. Sanity still is not returned. Mm. And I've seen that happen to a lot of people. You know, the, the way they set it out in West Texas is there's good news and bad news in AA. And the good news is that AA works. And the bad news is AA works. <laughs> And if I'm not really, really careful, I'll begin to believe that I've beat this drinking thing, and that's the purpose of this whole thing. And I come in, and most of us, you have to look at your own lives out there if you're listening, but most of us within, I'm going to say, 9 to 15 months of just not drinking, Life will get about 60 to 70% better than it was. You know, we can usually become employable. We can start to catch up on some debts. Maybe we get bedroom privileges back. Maybe we get a driver. You know, we can get things cleaned up. But we've still not really done the work or continued to work to change those internal things that are described on page 52 of our book, The Bedevilments. And after a while, it, for me, if I had not done the steps, four through nine, and sat down in front of people and made those amends, and then started trying to listen to what it says specifically twice in the book, uh, abstinence is but a begin, or the elimination of drinking is but a beginning. A much greater demonstration of these principles lies before us in our respective homes, workplaces, in the world at large. And then in the chapter to the family after, it will talk about uh, the fact that we've eliminated drinking is but the beginning of the end of a highly strained abnormal relationship that we have with people mm. you know and i think it even says one of those lines like years of living with an alcoholic would make a neurotic out of anyone so if i'm just going home and saying i've quit drinking but i've not been changed uh, those bedevilments are going to come back and when they come back i'll probably drink again so going back to the complacency and people talking about meetings and then somebody living in Sober Springs where they only have two meetings a week, uh, what, and I know you sponsor a lot of people, so what do you, uh, how do you coach people through that? Like, in other words, okay, well, you can't go to meetings, but you got to stay active. What's the um, guidance you're giving to folks? Well, it's the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I know there are varying uh, schools out there, uh, I will meet with someone for a couple of hours, and I believe time is. I noticed in your meeting today, and this happens a lot, at the very end there's that anyone that would sponsor, raise your hands. For me, I think that's one of the most useless things that we do in AA. Why is that? Well, if we look at the book, 
Usually the new per the prospect is not coming to the recovered alcoholic. The recovered alcoholic is going to the prospect every time it's mentioned in the big book. So if we're going to do the hand raising for me, it might be who in here does not have a sponsor. And then those who would sponsor get up after the meeting and go approach those people and grab a hold of them. Uh, we approach them. We don't wait for them to approach us. And it's pretty easy to, to sit down with someone, spend a couple of hours, listen to them, and then share part of my story about where I am bodily and mentally different from my fellows. I try not to talk very much about the consequences, the divorce or the getting fired or all that stuff. You know, the... The two ideas behind the illness of alcoholism is that Gary Kincaid is bodily and mentally different from most of my fellows. The bodily difference we know as the craving. Mm -hmm. And the doctor's opinion in the first about 19 to 20 pages, Bill covers that masterfully. And if I'm sharing my story about I can't find any time in my life where I could guarantee how much I was going to drink once I started drinking. I could sometime, but I couldn't guarantee it. Right. Well, if you're an alcoholic, you're going to identify with that. <laughs> and then I get into the real tragic part, or as Bill talks in the book, the most baffling feature is the alcoholic's total inability to leave it alone. Mm. And so here I am, as I and probably most of your listeners are going to find out from their own experience, we've all had periods of physical sobriety. And yet we drank again, not out of a craving, but out of what we thought was a choice. I'll even hear in meetings from time to time, I choose not to drink today. Well, I don't. I've lost the power of choice. I don't read anywhere in the book where I ever get it back. What I choose today is the daily spiritual hygiene of 10, 11, and 12, and that stands between me and those bedevilments nesting again in my life, and that stands between me and that next drink. So I'm mentally different. God, AA, medicine, no one is going to change my brain. I will always have a physical brain that processes alcohol differently than nine out of ten people. That's right. That'll never change. But I also have a mind. And the mind and the brain are separate things. And the mind is my beliefs, my opinions, my perceptions, my attitudes, my outlook on life. And it's my mind that must change, or as Bill says specifically in the book, therefore we believe the problem of the alcoholic lies mainly in their thinking. And I cannot learn my way into thinking different. I must do the simple, pragmatic, 
practical application of what's called our 12 steps. Do the inventory. Talk about it with someone. Recognize those defects of character, which we've been on here before. For me, there's only four defects. They're dishonesty, fear, selfishness, and self-centeredness, as it mentions in the fourth step. And see those patterns in my life that drinking didn't have anything to do with. I lied not because I drank. I lied because I'm a liar. <laughs> you know, I cheated not because of drinking. So I'm not one of those that will say, well, when I was drinking, I was really selfish. No, I've always been really selfish. <laughs> right. So that, that's what I'm talking about. The, the meetings are fantastic. I heard a deal recently that really excited me. What's that? I've always said I'm not one of those meeting makers, make it people. That's just not, that may be a program, but for me, it's not the AA program. Mm -hmm. But I heard a speaker recently that said meeting makers do make it. He said, but that doesn't mean going to the meetings. That's those people that make meetings possible. The ones that go find the venue, the ones that show up to make the coffee, the ones that show up to chair, the ones that show up to set out the chairs, the ones that make the meeting, those meeting makers make, make it. it, but not just the ones that show up because I need a meeting. Right. And well, I like that idea yeah, because well, it's about action. Mm -hmm. And John, that's coming from a guy that probably... In 29 years, I've never gone longer than five days without being in a meeting. Yeah. But the reason for going to meetings is to find new people. It's to share the solution. And I can probably find some newcomers at Walmart, but I'm going to have a lot better luck finding one in an AA meeting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go to another topic. Um how about um I've let's always, go back to complacency are you okay are you sir you want yeah, to like finish it out sure go we, we can make experience. this whole thing complacency if you want it took me about a year and a half to get into the daily ritual of what i do every morning is i read 60 to 63 because for me, step three is not a took step. It's a take step, as all of our steps are. You know, it's not I took step three 20 years ago. I take it each day. Mm -hmm. And then I'll turn to page 86, and I open my book, and I do the Upon Awakening. And do what it says there. I, I've got some plans for the day, so I consider them. And before I start, I want to ask God, that's a prayer, to be divorced from dishonest, self-seeking, self-pitying motives. And it gives me some instructions of what to do throughout the day. And I do that every day. And in the evening, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to get to the top of page 86 before I retire and I'm going to review my day. Now, the morning time may take five to ten minutes. The evening time may take five minutes. 
Step 10, as you and I know, is not an evening process. It's a walking around through the day. Because if you read the book, it says we continue to watch for, you know, dishonesty, fear, selfishness, self-pity. That means they're going to happen pretty much daily. And then there are those four instructions of what we do when they come up. We ask God to be removed. You know, if we need to talk to someone, we do. If we need to make an amend, we do. And the part that almost no one does, we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. It doesn't even say, I got to go help them. <laughs> but I need to turn my thoughts to them because if I'm thinking about you, I'm not thinking about me. Right. Even if you're just praying for somebody. Yeah. Turning my thoughts to them. And I'll have people quite often say, doesn't that ever get boring doing the same thing every day? And my response is no. It doesn't get boring because look at the life that I've been given as a result of just doing these simple, repetitive things on a daily basis. Yesterday evening, I had supper with my granddaughter and my daughter. I mean, how does that ever get boring? <laughs> you know, when I get home, I'm going to a house that's paid for. I came in here with nothing. How does that get boring? You know, and on and on. I've got two newcomers in the last uh, two weeks. If you're meeting with someone and taking them through the steps, I guarantee you life's not boring. <laughs> so it's doing what we talked about on an earlier episode of spiritual hygiene. You know, that's what I call 10 and 11. If I don't brush my teeth and put on deodorant and do some breath mints during the day and use some body spray, my life is going to stink. <laughs> and if I don't do 11 and 10 pretty much the way it says out of the book, then my life's going to stink. Yeah, so I was thinking there as you were talking about how if somebody says it's boring, well, it would be... Like, here's the thing. If I was never selfish, dishonest, and resentful, and afraid, and I didn't have to turn to those instructions, uh, it would be another subject. But I consistently, every day, my thoughts go to some sort of Oh, every day. Oh, and many times during the day. I bet you're like I am. I thought, I really thought in the early years, there's going to come this time. Yeah. When there'll never be fear, there'll never be a lie, leave my lips. Yeah. When, well, folks, it ain't happened. <laughs> you know, the best we get to be is a human being. Now, I say it, this offends some people today, but everybody's on the short bus. <laughs> there, there's not anybody on the big bus in life. And we all need some discipline. We got to learn how to play together, you know, and to recognize, uh, as I've said on an earlier episode, if I get a C plus or a B minus when I do that evening review, I've had a great day. There is nobody on the A honor roll in Alcoholics Anonymous. It came up today about a spiritual discipline. They were talking about that, you know, we alcoholics are undisciplined, and the only way we can discipline ourselves is by you. And I don't think it means like I'm fairly disciplined and I'm fairly routine, just like naturally. Uh, some people call it obsessive compulsive. I call it routine. <laughs> but um, but they're talking about being 
spiritually disciplined. And that I never was and that I still uh, struggle with. But you have to practice those things on a daily basis, like you're saying. Well, and I love the line, we allow God to discipline us in the manner we've just outlined. Well, that's the first 88 pages of our book. And most of us say, I believe it, that God, it's by the grace of God that we have Alcoholics Anonymous, that somehow God has allowed this thing to be born. If that's the case, then those first 88 pages would be the way God's going to discipline us. I don't find it very beneficial to spend two hours every morning seeking God. Uh, I've really, John, never had the idea of needing to get closer to God. My experience with this program is I got to get rid of me. You know, if I can get me out of the way, all that's left is God. So what you're saying is, as opposed to spending two hours seeking God in the morning, like in the lotus position, mm -hmm. you, what really works for you is getting up and going into some sort of action and thinking of others, right? Well, it's, it's first of all, it's being grateful that I've got some plans for the day. <laughs> you know, think about uh, the way I was before I got here. Every day was the same. It was going to be the same misery, the same depression, the same, same, same. I could take the ups and downs in life. My bottom was really those last two years when it was always the same. He describes it on page 25 as the hopelessness and the futility of life as we've been living it. And by the time we get in here and the time I got in here and got through those steps and in about seven months had made all my amends or started making them, you know, I was paying money. It took me nearly 17 years to pay all that off, but I started. I had some plans. I had a job. You know, I had a couple family members that were talking to me again. I had some commitments. I had some friends. Pretty soon after that, I had a sponsee. Uh, pretty soon after, heck, I got a girlfriend or, you know, I had some plans again. <laughs> and those would be the things that if I'm not careful, I would think I did that. Maybe that's the resting on the laurels right. he talks about. I've been here 29 years and I ain't found a laurel yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I thought I have a few times, but I never can find anybody that would second that. <laughs> uh, you know, I've had a sponsor that said, well, let's figure out why you've got that. Maybe it's because of you're trying to live this way instead of you went out and accomplished that. So, yeah, it's the, the complacency would happen in my case if I ever stopped trying to share this with someone new. Uh, I act so much better when I'm around a newcomer. <laughs> you know, I give very simple instructions, and I cannot ask you to do something I'm not doing. There's just some kind of integrity in here 
that it's just I can't ask you to do something if I don't do it. And since I don't want to do a whole lot, I'm not going to ask you to do a whole lot. But I'm going to get up every morning and do that 11th step. I'm going to do that evening review each day. And after about 10 years, it happened in my life when I, I know, I don't believe it, I know that when I sit down with someone and they've identified that they are an alcoholic, that page 44 identification, I know that if they'll do these simple actions of this program, they will be awakened spiritually and they will have a life that they never ever even dreamed was possible. So I don't try to take care of any of their problems or any of their consequences, if you will, because I know these steps will do that. So as you know, and I know, not everybody, uh, you you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink it, as you know. And so I'm just, uh, when you see people that don't, that short circuit that process, can you identify why or, you know? No. Okay. But I can tell you it doesn't hurt me to work with everyone as if they're not going to short circuit it. Mm. I don't know how much time we have, but I'll tell you a story of one of the most important people in my life. Uh, and I didn't know it at the time, but it was the first man. And I've told part of this story on a previous episode, but the first man that asked me to sponsor him, I was 11 months sober. And I said, yes, this guy was about 75 years old. He was living with a daughter that did not want him there and he didn't want to be there. He had lost his driving privileges, so I or some of my friends would have to pick him up, and I would go to his house twice a week, and we opened this book, and I started trying in my very clumsy way to do with him what Jerry did with me, of reading the book together and of helping this guy to identify out of his own life experience how he was powerless over alcohol. And that beyond that, how his life had just become a mess, not because of drinking, but because of self-reliance, the way it talks about in the book. Mm-hmm. And one night, it was a Wednesday night, I was at his daughter's, he's across the table, we're on page 68, I'm outlining the fear inventory to the guy, we got the paper out, and we're drawing all of this, and I saw it. I didn't see it when I got taken through the steps. We are here to play the role as he assigns it. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the ma- that's impacted my life maybe more than anything else. Same roles after recovery. Son, son, dad, dad, friend, friend, brother, brother. Same roles, but now as God directs us. And for me, in an instant, it was, those are not my children. I'm their father. That's not my father. I'm his son. It's not my brother. I'm his brother. And my job is here to be the best dad, father, son I can be. And whatever they do is none of my business. 
And I looked across the table at this guy. He was about 75 years old, horribly abused several families. And it came to me, good God Almighty, I'm sitting here with my daddy. There wasn't a dime's worth of difference between this man and my dad. And I've made my amends to my dad, but, you know, out on the porch or at the coffee shop, sometimes daddy is still that SOB. And in that moment, I knew I had to switch those roles. It would never have anything to do with daddy anymore. It was about me trying to become the best kid I could be. And to do that, I had to start changing the vocabulary that I talked about when I talked to my dad. He couldn't be an SOB anymore. First, he was a still-suffering alcoholic, and then he became daddy. And then I started out of that. It didn't all happen that night, but I realized my children's mother was not my ex. She was my children's mother. I had to rename her for what she really was and not for my old perception because as my ex, she was still that bitch a lot of times. I don't want my kids to have a bitch for a mother. I want them to have a mother for a mother. So I had to rename her. And those were the children's grandparents and the children's aunts and uncles. You know, to change that, get that new pair of glasses with which to look at the world with. And then I started to see Everybody in my life that I thought I was a victim of or that I maybe had hated or was afraid of or didn't like, I've met every one of those people in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I've learned to love them. This guy was getting my time and my attention and my love that I wasn't giving to my daddy. And out of that, I started giving that to my dad. And our lives changed. He never changed. But when he died, when I was five years sober, I lost a man I loved. Now, the reason I wanted to tell that story is two weeks later, I went to pick over this guy's house to finish. We were supposed to do his fifth step. His daughter met me at the door and said, he's gone. She didn't know where he had gone. She said he only had to go to those meetings for two months. And as soon as that two months was up, he left. I can't even remember his name, John. But spending the time to try to share this program with another person changed my life. And that happens every time. So there's really, I'd be really complacent if I decided I've put in my time at being a meeting maker. I've put in my time of working on committees or boards. It's somebody else's turn. You know, it's like my friend Ricky Russell says, if I stop trying to give this back, then I deserve to get drunk and to lose my home and to lose my family and to end up on the streets again. That's what I deserve if I stop being grateful, so grateful that I don't want to share this in any way that I can. And it's not that hard. 
the busy, you know this, the busier we are in AA, the more time I've got for children and friends. It's like yeah. God's this great loan shark that you can't ever pay him back because you just keep getting more and more as long as we just stay with it. There's no getting complacent. When I realize I don't come to AA for me, I live my life for me and damn near killed me doing that. I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for others. Yeah, I, I did recovery for my children. I got to do it. But I might say, well, I, this is a selfish program. We got to take care of ourselves. Well, I understand some of what that is, but you won't find that in the literature. You know, this is a selfless program. What does he say? Or is it page 20? As ex-problem drinkers, our very lives depend on our constant thought of others and how we can help meet their needs. I first read that and thought, he's joking, isn't he? <laughs> but no, and that's, that's the deal that you brought up. I, I don't do that 100%. If I if I make a C or a C-plus every day, it's a good day. Yeah. And then I can go do that evening review. Yeah. And people, that evening review is an open book test. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like if I do the little things that it says to do, that God puts a smiley face on the day because grace means that our lives as sober members of AA are graded by grace and not by anything that we might think is a laurel. Just the opportunity to be present in the lives of people that we care about. No greater gift. So if you were to sum up, this is going to be a complacency episode. I had no idea. Thank goodness you weren't allowed to share in the meeting earlier. Otherwise, nobody else. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Which is great. I love a deep dive on one subject, right? And that's what you've done here. So if you were to sum up regarding complacency, um, a lot of people people are listening out there, right? What What do you want to say about complacency to wrap it up? Uh, you know, this, okay, I know exactly what I want to say. We do a lot of things in AA, and I'm not putting those down. I'm just telling you there's things I've never done. One, I've never had a sponsor that asked me to do a gratitude list. <laughs> Hasn't, now, I'm, I've been grateful. Yeah, but I've not, and, and I started thinking about that. Well, everybody's talking about doing gratitude lists and God boxes and all this stuff. And I guess, John, I was about 23 years sober. And I'm looking at this life and I no longer regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. I'm reading that first full paragraph on page 100. Follow the dictates of a higher power, and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. And it came to me, I have written a gratitude list. It was called my eighth step list. Mm -hmm. And by 
continuing to add to that eighth step when things came up, but every one and everything that was on that original eighth step list, that was two children, that was a mother, a father, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, past careers, and friends. Those are all of the things that make my life so rich today. Not that we're all hunky-dory and lovey-lovey, but that I learned in here, as I would sum up, that this is not about being forgiven. It's about finding a way to live forgiven. And when I think of that, there's no reason I ever want to stop. Well put, Mr. Gary. I really, really, really appreciate you coming by today. This has been so cool. You know, we're going to have to schedule some more time because you just have content that, and I mean this in a positive way, that goes on and on and on. I could bring up one subject one little subject and we could talk 45 minutes on it right i absolutely love it i think it's fantastic um all right so page 164 from the big book i'm gonna end it with this it says abandon yourself to god as you understand god admit your faults to him and to your fellows clear away the wreckage of your past give freely of what you find and join us we shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Gary Kay, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Gary, thank you so much for coming Oh, thank by. you so much. Thank all of you folks listening. God bless you. God bless. Once again, Mr. Gary Kay, thank you for coming in here, uh, driving in all the way from Sulphur Springs, Texas, to spend a little bit of time with yours truly. It was an honor and a privilege to see you again. Um, I'm sure this won't be our last time getting together, but I really, really did appreciate your coming in and uh, recording an episode regarding complacency with moi. Now, on to a little bit of listener feedback. And the first bit of, oh, here is listener feedback. So Mike, oh, our, our friend Mike, uh, who lives in Tempe, Arizona, he wrote in with a, an update. Uh, he is the one who uh, monitors our, what he calls snail mail. So this is a snail mail update. And Mike writes in, he says, hey, John, uh, well, as you know, the snail mail department is growing slowly. I would like to thank all those who wrote in and that continue to make this work. A couple of special shout outs at the uh, end of the year when he says goes to congrats to brian f in tucson 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 arizona for getting out and finding the oldest aa clubhouse in arizona and getting plugged in keep up the good work and then he says a big thank you to Kara M from burlington vermont for the encouraging card and contribution 
It will help with the books and things that I send. As I am sure Kara knows from the work she does, the small things mean a lot uh, that people can't uh, in the uh, small things mean a lot to the people they can't do for themselves for whatever the reason. And last but not least, thank you, John, for allowing me to be part of Soberspeak. It helped me grow while I was incarcerated, incarcerated and continues to help me grow as a person and my connection with the program. Looking forward to more growth in whatever God has planned in this new year. Peace and blessings, Mike. So, Mike uh, uh, monitors our snail mail. Uh, and just in case you have not heard the address before, it is Sober Speak, 1962 East Apache Boulevard, P.O. Box 7925 in Tempe, Arizona. Tempe is T-E-M-P-E, just in case you don't know that. Arizona, 85281. And I am so thankful for Mike and what he does out there. And if you want to write in a letter, a physical snail mail, uh, as we call it, um, feel free to write Mike. And he is monitoring that P.O. box. And uh, he is uh, just doing a, a heck of a lot of work. And I am so appreciative of that. So, and let me, he sent me a snapshot of what Kara wrote in the one that uh, from Burlington, Vermont. And uh, Kara says, Dear Mike, thank you for your support. Thank you for supporting Sober Speak as a sober person and as a clinician in a community with mental health. I honor what you're able to give to Sober Speak. It is a gift in my life, giving me what I need. I feel the love. Wishing you and those close to you a wonderful New Year, Kara. Well, that's so nice, Kara. Uh, and then she says uh, on the back of it here, she says, sanity will not happen if no one is trying. Oh, very good. Thank you for writing in, Karen. And thank you. And yeah, y'all give a lot of love to Mike out there. Right to Mike. Keep him busy. Uh, he loves to get these cards and letters. Uh, and I love to that he gets the cards and letters. So thank y'all very much. Clinton writes in. I don't think this is Bill Clinton. I think it's just like Ray. Oh, Clinton is his first name. Clinton writes in and he says, John. I've been listening to the podcast on and off for a couple of years, and I've binged a few episodes over the past week or so as I've had some time off work around the holidays. As the holidays come to a close and I realize that I'm dreading going back to work, just some hard issues I have to deal with as a leader when I get back, and it's been a real source of anxiety and fear for me the last several days. You, John, shared about some similar struggles and fears around work uh, in, in, in a recent intro to the podcast, and something you said just struck me. I'm paraphrasing, but you said something along the lines of, this has forced me to look inward and, figured out, and figure out what it is inside me uh, that's, keep, that, uh, that's making me not trust the God of my understanding. Well, that's exactly what I needed to hear, and I just wanted to say thank you. I love the podcast and love the work you do to spread the message. Take care, my friend, Clinton M. Well, yes, Clinton. You know, I think every sort of issue I have in my life is basically that. When I'm in fear, it's about wondering what 
am, why am I not trusting God? When I took that third step, right? When I took that third step and I said, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. I mean, I meant it at the time, but then sometimes I, I, uh, um, I don't act like that, right? If you see me, how I'm acting and how I'm worrying and how I'm sweating at the brow, uh, why do I act that way when I know that I, tr- when I say that I trust the God of my understanding? And I think that's something we all struggle with, Clinton. But thank you for writing in. I appreciate you. David writes in and David says, Hi, John. I live in the Memphis area and I've been sober since 2011. Over time, it has become a real honor and privilege to make the time to celebrate my recovery and my relationship with God, which is wild, which is wild because it used to feel like punishment. <laughs> For me, gratitude starts as an action, but eventually my feelings begin to align. And my gratitude becomes a feeling, becomes a feeling and a new and a way of life. I'm sorry. He says, I've been blessed with a good marriage, healthy family, good career, and a wonderful fellowship in AA. I found Sober Speak on accident using Spotify when I noticed that your guest was Cliff G from Oklahoma City. I met him and Lori at a conference a few months ago, and I'm looking forward to meeting them again in Kingsport, Tennessee in March. They must be coming up there for a conference. He said, I just listened to your show with Jennifer HK and decided to join the Facebook group. One of the neat things I heard Jennifer say was, I think it was from a different talk, was about spiritual Jenga. (laughs) I love the recovery metaphor she uses. They keep this stuff fresh for me. Thank you for all the good work, David R. Well, thank you. And I passed your message along to both uh, uh, Cliff and uh, Jennifer HK. Thank you, David. Quan writes in and he says, Hi, John. This is Quan, the construction worker from San Francisco. I remember you, Quan. Yeah, you sent, you have sent me pictures of your construction site that you're working on in the past. And he says, I went away from listening to Sober Speak for a while because I had listened to everyone, some more than a few times as my program, pro, uh, as my program progresses. I'm so happy to, to see you have a ton of other episodes. I, I haven't heard now. I just got my two years sobriety uh, as of January 3rd, uh, 2024. Good for you, Quan. That is fantastic. Two years. I remember when you first started writing in. He says, I've had the same sponsor for almost a one and a half years now who took me to step six, but I switched sponsors on November 30th, my 51st belly button birthday, and my new sponsor took me through the rest of the steps. I can now say I'm a recovered alcoholic, but uh, but I've been used, but I've been you, excuse me, but I've been used to saying, oh, recovering alcoholics. So it's hard for me to break old habits. As far as my 
favorite speakers on your podcast. Wow, there are so many. And I'm glad to hear your Spanish is improving because you're paying <laughs> attention. <laughs> he spells it all out with a lot of vents. He says, your podcast has kept has been a big part of my road to recovery. Love you, brother. God did for me what I could never do for myself. I hear you on that one, Mr. Kwan. I hear you on that one. God did for me what I could never do to myself for myself either. I love back at you, Kwan, there in San Francisco. All right. I think that's a wrap. We got another one in the books. Uh, keep coming back. It works if you work it. May God bless you and keep you until then. I take this thing one week at a time. I hope to be back next week. Uh, God bless you. Uh, and, uh, what else do we say? Love you guys. Bye.